Dr. Matthew Castro here at Central Church in Kyreville, Tennessee. I'm the adult ministries pastor. You are listening to the Church and Politics Equip class. It meets on Wednesday night at 6.15 p.m. in room 235. You're listening to Lesson 9, Biblical Masculinity. Let me, uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. And uh, we got a lot to, a lot to cover. So, um, let me, let me pray for us and then we'll get started. Let me pray. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for our time. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to, to gather together. Lord, thank you for the dinner and thank you for Kyle for preparing for us. And uh, Lord, we pray tonight as we talk about biblical manhood and womanhood, Lord, pray that you would instruct us and, and, uh, help us to, to build our understanding of gender identity off the, of your word and not based off the culture or preferences or skills, but, Lord, based off your word alone. And, Lord, may the church be a, uh, may we proclaim and display what is, um, how you design men and women uh, to be and to, and to live and to act, Lord. And, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to think well on this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we're going to kind of change gears a bit, and we're going to talk about uh, biblical manhood and womanhood and talking about uh, gender um, and so we've talked about kind of high-level uh, political theory. We've talked a lot about the church. And so we're kind of going to be a little more applicational um, in dealing with especially some of these uh, gender identity issues that are going on in our, in our, in our society. Um, and most likely, these are probably not issues that um, uh, you're probably going to have a lot of high-level high political conversations about. But you'll have probably... A lot of conversations with just people, um, probably even more personal if you have like, you know, someone in your family or someone you work with, someone in their family, and they're trying, they're struggling to understand all these things, right? As it as it happens and what their thoughts are on this, especially people who are, you know, immature Christians or non Christians at all, and they really are kind of they're not really grounded on and biblically understanding what gender is, and so they're trying to love their family member or their friends. Well, all the, at the same time, not really understanding really what this is and how to talk about it and communicate it. And so they stumble quite uh, easily and are quite confused. And, um, and so for us to be able to help people and also for our own uh, thinking on this, this, is, this stuff is really important. Um, tonight, we're, I'm gonna, um, we're gonna talk about, I'm gonna introduce this, but I'm, we're gonna talk about it more later on uh, in, the, in the coming weeks, especially when we get into ginger confusion um, and homosexuality um, in the coming weeks. What's up? Um, <coughs> looks like Tinsley was right. Tinsley thinks we should move the room next door. So I'm thinking next week we move the room next door. I think it's a little bigger. Like, it's not a lot bigger, but it's a little bigger. So we won't do it now because that would just be crazy. Um, someone could get hurt, right? And for that purpose, we'll just stick stick to where we are. Um, so... There is a, there is notes, there is a roster, if you're not on the roster, if you would just put your name on it in an email of some sort, (coughs) I would appreciate that. We try to keep pretty good attendance, 
Um, just for the sake of knowing who many people are, are coming, um, it's not like we see how, like, how many times you've been there. But if you do get perfect attendance, we will give you a slap on the back. <laughs> but that's the extent. I mean, we're a church. We just can't just be giving stuff away. Um, so here we go. Um, so we're going to talk about this more later. Um, but really, this helps. This terminology, and these weirder, actually, these letters represent something. I'm going to let you guess what they are. And um, this will come in handy in understanding why people think the way that they do in our society. It's actually not that crazy. I mean, biblically, it's not, it's not godly, but you'll understand that actually it's, it's actually they're working off a normal thought process, okay? Uh, what do you think W means? Walmart. Walmart, no. no. Weird. <laughs> no. Wild. No. Where do, where, do we, where do we live? Western. Western, thank you. Western. Western. Uh, what do you think the E is? No. No. Some of you are overly educated. <laughs> Meaning you spend a lot of money on degrees. Like me. I is not institutional. No. What do we call the um, blank military complex? Industrial. There you go. Industrial. And then what do you think the R is? No. No. Most of people in Carville. Rich. What is D? No. What's the like political democratic thing? Uh, what do you think the what's the E? Western, educated, industrial, rich, democratic. Nope. What would you say is the sp- the spiritual climate of America or the West? No. What's the opposite of evangelical? <laughs> Ex-Christian. Okay. What about the R? This one I think will be hard for y'all to get. It's a, I'll give you a hint. If any English lit prof- uh, majors in here? We did not waste your money on a, on a degree like that. Anyone into um, poetry? Do you know what that is? The type of poetry, very, very American. Realism? Rhetoric? Not realism. Henry uh, Emerson. Huh? Romanticism. So this represents American culture from 1776 onward. Um. And really, I want to focus on this one and that one. When you think of democratic, what are your what are some uh, attributes of democratic? Voting. Would you say? <laughs> Mob rule. 
What is it? What is it? Every word for mob rule. Chaos. Why would it be chaos? Because mobs are. What? What? Why do mobs? Uh, why mobs tend to be chaotic? What happens with how, the issue is that there's no leaders? There's too many leaders. There's too much independence. And so when we think about democratic, we think about individual rights. This is very important to Americans. Individual rights. So what I think is good for me and my own happiness, I think is true. Again, this will help us as we talk more about gender rights. Romanticism is about your self-worth, self-actualization, being true to yourself. See how this kind of plays in to gender identity and different rights and people's identity of, I feel that I am a woman stuck in a male body. I feel this way, therefore I am this way, therefore I should have the right to do this. And it goes back to democratic too. I have individual rights. A lot of 1776 is built off this idea of we are all created equal and we all have individual rights. No one was stating that until 1776. So you just take that idea and then fast forward 200 plus years and you get to where we are, okay? So I wanted to throw that out there because I wanted to showcase this and introduce this because it will come more and it'll come out later on when we talk about more things and to do with individual rights, especially in our society because you're like, why do people think that way? Well, just go back to these values, individual rights, independency, and true to myself. Okay. okay, so we're going to talk about biblical manhood and womanhood. We're going to kind of, I'm going to do an introduction of biblical manhood and womanhood, and then we're going to talk about ba- uh, biblical masculinity, and then next week we'll talk about biblical femininity, okay? Uh, I do actually, uh, I'm going to introduce some of the history of the feminist movement. I think that would be kind of helpful, just in understanding the context by which we are, de- you know, when we talk about what is a woman, what is a man, and I think that will be helpful. Okay. Um, interesting enough, I don't, I think I remember, you may go back and remember a different event, but I remember when, like, what is a man and what is a woman became more confusing. Uh, you may remember this, this, this moment. It's when Bruce Jenner, no longer was Bruce Jenner, but it was Caitlyn Jenner. The reason why... Is what do you know about what did you know about what 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 did Bruce Jenner do in his life? Decathlon, Decathlon. 1976. He was known this he was known as the All American Hero. This this muscular man, this athletic man, this successful man who was kind of the image of like like this is a man becomes identifies as a woman and starts dressing like a woman and changes his name to Caitlyn Jenner. And I remember I was listening to a sports radio show, and the, the, the person, the show was, the host of the show was not a Christian. And he was struggling to understand it, because he was thinking, Bruce Jenner? Like, he's like the manliest man of all time. How could he possibly identify, with a, identify as a woman? And he was having this struggle because he started to think, oh, I guess... Being a man or being a woman is based off just your preference. That's the definition of a man and a woman. 
And actually, while, you know, I disagree with the sports host, he's not a Christian. He's not basing his understanding of, of what a gender is based off the Bible. So he's struggling, thinking, I always thought a man is one who does sports, he's muscular, that's a man. But now that man who was that now identifies as a woman. He's like, I'm super confused, right? Um, that was in April 2015. Um, when you think about what is a man, some, you know, the view is a John Wayne, the rugged masculine man, right? The rugged, uh, that's what a man is. But again, you're defining masculinity based off pr- physical things, preference, right? Um, and the question is, is that how he based what a man is? Is it based off preferences? Is it based off skills and talents? Or is it based off something else? Yes, sir. There was an image on television back in that day called the Marlboro Man. That yes. Was image yes. What a man looked like was the Marlboro Man. Which kind of looked like John Wayne with a cowboy hat, kind of rugged, the rugged, the rugged man. Out, out in, the, in the unknown, you know, him and his thoughts and his Marlboros, right? I mean, that's pretty much the kind of the, the thought. So what is our, our expectations on what a man is a woman? Is it based off what's embedded in the cultural fabric of our society? Is that how we determine what a man and woman is? Oh, that's what the scriptures say. So we got to be careful that we are basing our understanding of what a man and a woman is based off scripture and not based off cultural preferences or what the culture defines what a man and a woman is. So, because right now, going back to this, the definition of a man or a woman is very fluid. Why? Because of individual rights and being true to yourself. So if you're using these values, that's why it's so fluid. Because people's feelings are fluid. People's... Yeah, they're... Well, and science has lost a lot of um, authority over people. Uh, especially with COVID was one of these major issues, but Science is seemed as restrictive, right? It's restricting what I want and what I feel. And I, if I feel a certain way, well, then that's true to me. And it doesn't really matter what science says or what you say. It doesn't really matter because what I think is what I think. Yeah. I've even heard the argument of, about science and the fact that, well, science can also change. Oh, the man or the woman or the man, so they are like discredited. Um, so we're going to use the word gender because if you just use the word sex that's just a physical term and the bible speaks of what a man and woman is more than just because of physical traits right there's more to it than than that it's more comprehensive than that there's a disposition that god has designed man and woman to have a disposition it's, it's a man and a, or a woman has innate traits. That's just it's more than just physical things, right? So uh, we have to understand, though, just as we think through this, that Scripture is sufficient. God's word is authoritative. Hence, why we're using God's word to help define what a man and a woman is and help us understand what those things are, um, because God's word is authoritative. God's word is sufficient. God's word is clear on matters like these. And God is the creator. So I think it'd be appropriate to go to his word since he created 
man and woman, right? He's the one that is giving. It has a man and a woman he has created for a particular purpose and for his own design, for his own purposes. And so it's important that we do that. Um, so let me give you kind of a, a biblical theology. Um, I've kind of sh- it's starting with creation, fall, uh, um, um, redemption, and then restoration. Okay, those are the kind of the, the four categories um, of kind of the of the kind of the vision within Scripture. So if you have a Bible, Genesis chapter one, we'll go to twenty six and twenty eight. We see that God's creation really does help us understand what a man and a woman is. Can somebody read 26 through 28? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Thank you. So we see um, here in this passage, very, um, you know, key passage in Scripture, is God creating humans. Um, let us, which is a, an interesting um, plural there, speaking of the Trinity, make man in our image, after our likeness. So you see the image image of God. Uh, man and woman are created in the image of God. They're, bear, they're bearers of the image of God. They're created in the likeness of God. Let them, again, plural, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And then he says, he created him male and female. He created them. So you see um, important uh, observation here. And in, in verse 31, he said, God saw everything that he made, and he behold, it was very good. So he creates male and female. This is by God's design. This is by God's wisdom. He creates humans male and female. Um, and we see that they're both created in the image of God. Um, and you see an equality as an emphasis here that man and women are created equal. They're both image bearers of God. And they're both given the, the cultural mandate to have dominion. Both are told that they have dominion over the animals, over, the, over creation. So this is something that they are both tasked in doing. So there is equality that's important. They're both created in the likeness of God. And they're both told to have dominion, and they are to have a relationship, man and female. He created them. So there's a diversity, a man and a female. Well, we see diversity in the Trinity, so there's diversity in uh, God's creation of, of man and woman, and they have a relationship. They are two, the image bearers who both carry on dominion and rule and, 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 and having 
and subduing the earth together. And so you see that. So that's an important observation as we start. So it's important that we remember the equality that men and women share. They are created equal. And they are created both with the image, being image bearers of God. So they're equal in value. And so their worth is based off God. We do not earn our worth. We don't determine our own worth. God gives us worth. We are image bearers of God. Uh, someone read, moving on, let's, someone read Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. So you get Genesis 1, you get kind of the big observation of creation, um, and now you kind of, kind of zoom closer into the action, Genesis chapter 2. Can someone read verse 15? The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. So what do we see there? Did he, did he put the man and the woman in the garden, or just... The man. Just the man in this particular part of the story. And what did he task the man to do? Take care of it. Right, to work and keep, right? To, to work it, to cultivate it, to tend to it, and then to protect it, to guard it. It's a very um, um, kingly act, priestly act to protect, to protect and watch over. This is something he tasked the man to do. All right, moving a little bit further down, verse 18. Can somebody read verse 18 to verse 24? Can somebody read that? Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the earth and the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is the flesh of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Thank you. What are some observations that you see in this passage? We've already established he created the man first, and then put him in the garden, right? He then told him to work and keep the land. What else do you learn from this passage? Who was tasked in naming the animals? Adam. Adam. Not Adam and the woman. Adam was tasked to name the animals. What else? Something was not good. What was not good? There was no suitable helper. There was no suitable helper. So Adam was missing something. He was missing a helper, right? A suitable helper, as we find out, right? Because the animals, there was not, of, of the animals, they were not suitable helpers to Adam, okay? What else did we learn? He was not awake when she was created. Okay, so he did not create her. God created her. Did he create the woman from the ground like he did Adam? No, so Adam is, is, is created from the ground, but she was created from, from him, from him. What's significance that he made man while he was asleep? I'm, I'm not, I mean, 
pain. I don't know. <laughs> but he woke up and there was one. That's right. Which, interesting enough, that's kind of where we get our marriage traditions, right? Where traditionally, unlike some of us are non-traditional people, right? You're not supposed to see the bride until she walks down the aisle, right? Well, you see that God brings her to Adam, right? And there's a kind of a, he didn't see her being made. She was brought to him, right? And his reaction, what was his reaction to this? Woman. Yeah, woman. Yeah, that's right. He was very pleased. That was the first arranged marriage. Yeah. That's right. Well, and he had nothing to do with her creation. Like, he didn't. The, impl- the implication that God put him to sleep, took his rib, made woman, and then woke him up means he didn't, like, go to God with a list of this he didn't. is what I want in my, in my helper, this is what I want it to be like, and right. this or that. And Adam's so, not the one who said that it wasn't good that he... Adam's not the one that said, hey, God, by the way, it's not good. I need a helper. No, God's the one that makes that comment, right? God says it is not good because Adam does not have a helper. This is part of God's design, that Adam, the man, has a suitable and equal helper, an equal helper. Not a slave, but a helper. It's important. Couldn't it be a better word than helper? But why do you not like, God is God is used God is referred to in the Bible quite often as a helper to Israel. Okay. Well, I mean, helper is a good. I think as Westerners, we and who have who are democratic and rom, and very much romantic, we don't like the idea of the word helper because it seems not very authoritative, right? It's, it's a lower position. It and from our mindsets, but again, the Bible. <laughs> uses the word helper in a very highly positive light. God, the Almighty, is called a helper. How dare we say helper is a not suitable term, right? Well, this would be Hebrew. Yeah. Um, Even if you look at, like, personality profiles, like Myers-Briggs, like the helper is the most common personality uh, okay. Like, like, these are the people who make society run. Like, we rely on them. We rely, yeah, we need helpers, right? We need people who will c- come alongside and we, that we treat as equals. These aren't like slaves. These are equal partners. <coughs> so God made the woman as a helper fit for him. Her name is woman. Adam names her woman. Um, the women and women correspond to one another. They are married, and it says they are of one flesh. This was a, this improved Adam's situation. <coughs> Adam's role as the image bearer of God, who has dominion over creation, who has to work and keep the land, is now better because now he has a suitable, equal helper who's also an image bearer of God. Okay? These are all helpful things when we think about what is a man and a woman. Or so, probably was, where has she been all over? <laughs> Why has she been helping me with the, with the garden? With yeah, I need some help. Yes. She could have thought, good night. That's it. What would? Cough drops. I have one in my mouth. Thank you. Um, so they um, are suitable. She is a suitable helper to him. She provides what is lacking in him by God's design. This isn't like he's a failure and he is a, 
God had somehow um, messed up and now had tried to fix the problem by creating Eve. Creating the, no, no, this is by God's design. We already went to Genesis 1. They were both created in the image of God. Now we're getting the more focused in story. And Adam is created first from the ground. He's placed into the garden. He names the animal. He's called to work and keep the land. But now he has a suitable helper to obviously for not only keeping and, 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 and working the land, but also in the dominion and filling the earth. That's a really important part of this. How is Adam supposed to fill the earth by himself? Right? This is really important. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's an equality. They're both image bearers of God, but there's distinct strengths. She is a suitable helper that he needs. So she's providing things that he doesn't have. And he provides things for her that she doesn't have. One interesting note is, is the relational center. The last verse in this passage that we've read in verse 24, it's interesting how it's written, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, not the other way around. So and, and way to think of this is that she is the relational center of, of the man and woman. He is to leave his family and hold fast to her. Again, there's, this, there's distinct roles, distinct strength in this relationship. I mean, he is to cling to her, okay? Um, so that's kind of creation that helps us understand this is by God's design, um, Man is created first to work and keep the land. And we'll talk more about that when we get into biblical masculinity and more specifically what a man is. But a woman is significant, equal image bearer of God who is a helper to the man in the having dominion and filling the earth and subduing it, okay? And having dominion over the creation itself. Are there any questions so far? <coughs> Help is a good word. Helper is a great word. It is not a demeaning word. It's not a, it's not a word that's substandard. It is a very, very good word. Hopefully you would consider yourself a helper. It's, it's the word God also uses for a rescuer. Yeah. To describe his, his salvation of Israel. Right. What is, what is Israel and, and slavery to Egypt? What do they need? They need a helper rescuer, right? Who wouldn't want to be related to that? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. Not a question, just a statement. Uh, as Christians, it's easy for us to refer to Scripture. But in our culture now, there are more non-Christians, and they don't believe in the Bible. So how do you convince them about gender issues? Use the Bible. But they don't believe <clears throat> That's not their But that's, that's the only, that's the truth. The truth is, is the truth regardless if you believe the Bible or not. But they won't accept that as well. That's, I know, but they are denying truth. Yeah, they're denying truth. And th I think we as Christians need to continue to trust and proclaim the truth regardless if people don't want to believe it or not, right? Continue to say, and I'm not saying like, this is the truth, now take it or leave it. You know, like, I'm not saying that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe for someone like, You've talked to them a hundred times. It's like, hey, man, either take it or leave it. This is what it is. It's the truth. Except this is God. He's the creator. 
He has authority over your life. He's the Lord. You do not have authority over your life. And this is what a man, this is what a woman is, by his word. You know? It helps to point out that God's way works. It works. The yeah. world's way, there's so much that's messed up, that's complicated, that doesn't function. It doesn't achieve the result they want. God's model does. And that's great backup for you may not believe this is God inspired, but you can't deny it works. The question, go ahead, yeah. One of the things I would say too is because it is such like a hot button issue this day and age, you do see a lot of churches and a lot of Christians in trying to debate with non Christians go to these issues and try to debate these issues, but you're not going to convince a non Christian to accept your worldview here and the, the only thing that will convince them is catching a close to the person of Christ. Mm-hmm. So I think we're getting to those sorts of conversations. Yeah, you just have to reorient the conversation. Just, that's your truth and my truth is there. Because I that's we, we don't want to we, we, sure, we still want to be clear because we can actually make it worse by being super confusing. Um, and I you know there are, there are definitely churches and Christians who have actually been more harmful by trying to untangle this by actually trying to weave in non-Christian views on gender, gender and sexuality along with biblical Christianese and it becomes far more confusing. And actually, not clear at all. Um, clear as mud. Yeah. Well, you've got people like uh, Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh who try to answer that question from a more like scientific or political standpoint, and they've been just as effective at convincing other people as, as we are trying to use the Bible. At the end of the day, people just they, they're hard. They're hard to harden. So you go back to the Bible when you can, and it may not work, but hopefully it does. Yeah. I, think, I think it's important to consider, too, um, like even we, we see a precedent set all the way from Genesis of a desire by God set for his creation to mirror <coughs> creation what healthy relationship looks like, particularly in the matter of a relationship between creator and creation. And he, he sets them forth as, as mirror images of that to display that before creation. But that concept is is woven throughout the rest of Scripture, right? As well, and so it, it's like, like Ephesians five. Considering people like that are completely in disagreement with us on where we stand and the source by which we stand, I think it's important for us to consider and, and look at things like the life of Jesus and to consider like debates aren't aren't going to change people, right? Debating does not change people, right? It might prove a point or it might disrupt an idea. But it does not change lifestyle. But when we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, we're seeing somebody who is dedicated to truth, but is opening up a window into their own life for the people outside of him to look in and to see what what the the right life looks like. Yeah. What the healthy relationship looks like. Like it, he 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 allows himself to be examined from from without by those who disagree with him. Not in a manner of, of debate and staying on a soapbox and screaming, but saying, look at what this looks like mm-hmm. and see the, the, the true goodness 
of what this looks like. And I think that's what we're tasked with as mm-hmm. Christians, mm-hmm. not to merely debate people. Right. I can I can scream until I'm blue in the face with somebody that I disagree with, and it's not going to change their lives. Right. However, if I'm willing to allow them to look into my <coughs> own life, to look into my marriage, right. my family, right. and to see how God's ordination and design for marriage is intended to look like, even when I fail, right. for them to see the outworking of that, like he designed from the very beginning of that need. Right. For creation to lay witness to what it looks like in that relationship. I think that is our greatest means of convincing. Right. And that's not even for the point of convincing people, but that's that's the idea. He does that with Israel. Mm-hmm. God, God desires for them to be a priesthood among the nations. Right. And see right relationship between God, between creator and creation. And it's continued through the life of Jesus, and I think that's what we're tasked with as well. As someone who's, like, interacted with these issues, I have found that it's it's not just truth, but it's a lot of grace and a lot of compassion and a lot of care, like personal care. That that information is channeled through that. Um, and while they may not believe it, it's not just truth, like, this unleaded, right, just directly to the source. Like, it's, it's coming through a... a um, um, a channel of love and compassion, and it is—I think it is heard. It may not—they may not agree to it immediately, but they are—they are listening. We—I ha- had a—I had a—I um, had a young woman in my first, my former church, who um, called himself Jackson. Who called her? Her? She called herself Jackson because she dressed like a boy and acted like a boy and believed that she was a transgender. Yet she came to church every week and heard the gospel and hung around us so much because we cared and loved with her. But we did, we told her exactly we believe, they didn't believe what she was doing was right and biblical. But yet she listened. And so I think there's something to that. Like I really do. I don't think it's clearly like, you know, professor, professor just debating, you know, from a stage with podiums. I think it's far more real. Do you see in the gospels, right? So. Anything we try to say is useless mm-hmm. because the one in the scriptures, the only thing that works well is his word right. will not return void. Right. Mine will. Right. So if I'm going to talk to you, then I need to talk to you using scripture <coughs> because that's the only thing I can say that has any value. Right. And the way that you speak it, and the, the love that you present it, it is a part of it. It is a part of that message. Um, let's talk about the fall because the fall does radically, it, it changes what we see in, in creation. Um, and um, so we, we're not going to go into all the details of Genesis 3. We've talked about it before. You've been in Bible studies before. But uh, we see that um, you know, uh, Eve is seduced by the serpent. She eats from the tree. She then gives it to her husband. Um, and, they are, and they are now notice that they're naked. And they, they, they put, you know, they... they they kind of make clothes for themselves, and then they hear God come, and then and hear God in the garden, and they hide, right? Um, and who, if if you let's go to the passage, uh, verse nine. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "Where are you?" Then he said, "I heard you in the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself." You see, who in this particular uh, in this account, God addresses Adam. Not Eve, but Adam. Adam is the, is, again, he was created first. He was created from the ground. He was, he was, he was, 
commanded by the Lord to work and keep the land. She was a suitable helper for her. She did eat of the fruit, but he failed to be the protector of the garden. And so God addressed the king and said, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Right? Who told you you were naked? Um, And we see that when they are cursed, they are cursed differently, right? Um, There's distinctions even with the curses. Adam, the ground is cursed from where he came. His work was cursed, right? And then she, childbirth was cursed, right? It was going to be painful uh, to her. Um, and so you see the, the, they were different. There's distinct roles that they had, and then God cursed the roles that he gave them, right? And so there's a brokenness in the world. There's confusion with what a man and a woman is now. There's confusion. There's distortion. There's sin involved. There's a corruption of what God's design is. And that's when we get into things like gender dysphobia, we get into homosexuality, we get into broken marriages, broken families, uh, marital strife, um, um, adulterous relationships and affairs. These are all byproducts of Genesis chapter 3, okay? So all the gender identity issues that are just causing you so much frustration on the news go back to the fall. This is not a byproduct of the Democratic Party. It's not a byproduct of communism. It is a byproduct of the fall. Homosexuality was in the world quite early. Quite early. And I'm pretty sure gender dysphobia was, gender, transgenderism was, was as well. Right? There are, <coughs> these things are not new. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Yeah. I mean, so, go ahead. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, some of the... <laughs> the laws given are men should not dress like women, women yep. should not dress like men. So that had to be going on, or it wouldn't have been a rule. Yet. Correct, exactly. Um, redemption in Christ is the third point. So we have a fallen world. God's design has been corrupted because of the fall. Um, and we see that Christ, who is the image of God, Colossians 1.15, brings redemption and brings redemption for what a man and a woman is. And he offered his life uh, to restore us and to bring in a new creation, right? Um, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are new creations in Christ. So as men and women, we are now new creations in Christ and restored in our ability to live out God's design. Because of Christ. Um, and then also in Genesis, uh, Galatians 3.28, there's no male and female for you are all one in Christ. Man and a woman are equally saved by Christ. Equally redeemed, given the same inheritance, giving it both eternal life and given the Holy Spirit. Okay? But, and we see actually in Ephesians chapter 5, Basically, going back to Genesis 1 and 2 and, rest- and speaking and restoring what the marriage relationship should look like, right? You all remember Ephesians chapter 5? What does it say? What should women do? 
submit to be suitable helpers. This is not new. What is a man supposed to do? And, sacri- and give his life up as Christ gave, gave his life up for the church, right? Image bearers of God reflecting God's authority, and God's authority, as we see in Christ, is sacrificial, right? This isn't new. Ephesians 5 and Paul radically reached rewriting about what marriage is. He's just going back to Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, poor Paul. Um, what do we see in 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 2 and 3 about the church? Leadership within the church. And God's design is that men, uh, men are to be the, the, the pastors in the church, the elders in the church, and women are not to be pastors, but are equally saved by Christ, given spiritual gifts, given the Holy Spirit, are to be discipled, to be people who love Christ, who are in the church, who are active in the church, who are actually older women are to disciple young women, right? We see this going on in Scripture. We see in Acts a woman helping a fellow man in his own discipleship. The only thing that we see in the household of God, men are to be the leaders and women are to, to be under that authority, right, in the church. Well, only when it comes to eldership and pastor. Okay. We see female deaconesses. And we the do. The deacon role is a service helper Very good. role in the church. Very good. And we see even in the gospel stories, women were helpers of Jesus' ministry. They were not disciples or apostles, but they were helpers and active helpers and very important helpers to Jesus. Who were the ones who went to the tomb when he, when he was crucified? Women. Mm-hmm. They were the men. They're not there. <laughs> yeah, I think they were more scared than they were anything. Um, the last one is restoration. This is the new creation, consummation. Uh, Romans 8.21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He created us in his image as male and female. We will bear his image perfectly in the new creation. We will bear his image perfectly. Therefore, it seems that, it's, that it seems that the beautiful gift of gender will continue eternally. God created man in his image. That will be your gender identity for eternity. Women, you are created in the image of God, equal to men, and you will have that identity for eternity. But you will be perfect in that identity. Amen. You will be a suitable helper for eternity. Hallelujah. No more nagging. But also no more passive men. Hmm? (laughs) Okay, any questions on any of that? We kind of ran through that. This is our hope. And so as men and women, we look to this, knowing that we've been redeemed by Christ. Our identity is ones who have of a new age. We are new creations in Christ. Hence why we live out those eternal roles. Okay, we're going to look at biblical masculinity in the last 30 minutes that we have. We may spend a little bit of next week on this too. Um, <coughs> what does it mean to be a man? Let me know. Because I am a man and I don't know what it means. <laughs> what does it mean to be a man? What is the, what is the idea of masculinity? 
Define for me what a man is. What are the, what are the, what's the cultural definition? Not, not what the cultural definition was 50, 60 years ago. What is the current definition of what a man is? <laughs> is I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. What'd you say? Whatever you want it to be. I mean, if you're going by today's definition, it's whatever you want it to be. Well, okay. Well, mostly I would say though the world's very aggressive to toward very masculine men. If if you're very well, just there seems to be a, a lot of inflated lot ego. Of, Just the idea of a man who's very strong, who's very controlling, who doesn't cry very much, who, you know, there seems to be this idea that those men are, you know, all toxic evil and toxic. Yeah. yeah. There seems to be a lot of emphasis on tox toxic masculinity. As a bad thing. As a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was about to say, I'm like, yeah, I think it's more of the, the pushing towards the opposite direction, right? Right. I'm never having to apologize. Never having to apologize. <laughs> yeah. It's too often, though, as a husband, I feel like I apologize all the time. So I don't know if that's more of a fantasy terminology or if. <laughs> well, I would say a dad. I'd say a father, a husband. I mean, but I, I, like when I'm thinking about a man, I kind of I think. Tim the Tool Man, I really do. Yeah. I mean. Ron Swanson? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. How to Be a Man. What is it? What's the book? How steps, is it the How to Steps to Be a Man? Yeah. Just Be a Man and then number one. Yeah. Leadership. Leadership, right? Protection. Protection. Yeah, these are all kind of things we're going to talk about. Um, we're all image bearers of God, but men are supposed to be image bearers of Christ himself. Yes. And so are women. Yeah. So are women. Mm -hmm. And the question is, is like, well, I think I believe what I agree with what Trey's saying. I think if there any distinctiveness about a man, I think the issue today is that it's like, well, men aren't really any different than women. They're both similar. They're based. There's not any difference. Right. And the question is like, well, OK, that means is there no distinctive? Like, is it really there's nothing unique about being a man or what's unique about being a woman? The Bible says there is. But so like, how do we help continue to, to, to kind of, as we talk about what a man is, there's that biblical blueprint there, right? We can identify that's a man and that's someone who's not acting like a man. Well, men are bigger and stronger regardless. It kind of goes to the athletes who say they're men and women. They're still stronger. Right. I mean, it doesn't matter what a man in general is just stronger. Right. So there's so some physical that. traits are there other aspects of what a man is that maybe aren't just necessarily physical traits, but actually like innate dispositions? Waffles. I think it's. Versus spaghetti. Yeah, well, versus spaghetti. Yeah, I think it's a good one. I yeah, think emotions. sexually, God made men different. And I don't mean literally like the physical nature, I mean literally the way men's bodies work. Hormone-wise, you know, their sexual needs, the way their mind works sexually, is different yeah. than the way a woman functions. It's different, and of course. Not in a bad way. And of course, sin does affect that too, in a lot of ways. Because when we even read Song of Solomon, you see a woman who is equally engaged sexually, right, as the man is, right. So, 
there is something where, unfortunately, and we talked about this in the marriage class on Sunday, where it seems like, well, the man only cares about sex and the woman doesn't care about sex at all. But then we get Song of Solomon, we see something where they are both interacting on this, on this particular issue, right? Um, and I agree with you, there is a difference. Um, but I think sin has somewhat pushed away from this kind of balance that maybe we even see in Song of Solomon. Um, Women are wired differently. They are wired differently. Thank God, because they can keep up with kids, children, and a thousand other things at the same time. (coughs) We have a limited focus. We have a limited focus, yes. We have to zero in. That's right, because we're waffles. Um, <laughs> remember this. Yeah, we stay in our box. Um, so let's look at some foundations for biblical masculinity. Um, I think I have these in your notes. Starting off in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. Again, um, Adam was, was created from the, 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 the dirt, from the dust of the ground, um, even Adam means, you know, ground, earth. He comes from the earth. He is a man of the earth. He is a creature of the earth. Um, and he is to work the ground. And um, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we see he formed the man of dust from the ground. Um, verse 9, and out of the ground, the Lord God made it spring every good tree. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of even to work the ground and to keep the garden. Uh, verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God has formed every beast of the field. And then he is told, tells Adam to name those beasts of the, from the ground. Uh, is this right? No, no, no. Nope, it's not. Yes, yeah, it is. I'm good. Um, and then he is to exercise He's made from the ground. He's supposed to exercise dominion over the things from the ground. Um, he is to tend and work the ground. He is to protect the ground, to protect the garden. So everything is connected to the ground for this guy. Hence why men like the dirt and like to get dirty, I suppose. We're just people from the ground, and that's just what we do. Um, yes. Uh, so we, as men, bring order to creation. You know, that's why men like to go outside and cut their grass a lot. Um, I spend three, I spend three plus hours cutting the grass. Why? Because I want the ground to look good. Mm. Yes. We like to rake the leaves because that doesn't look think the ground look good. We like, I like order. It's interesting about men, they don't, they don't do a good job of, Maybe this is not all men, but I noticed some men, they don't do a really good job of putting their clothes away, but yet their garage looks very neat and orderly. And they're, they're, my, my father-in-law, like their house was always a mess, but his stuff seemed very orderly. Things were placed where he wanted them, and he knew where everything was. There's a certain uh, desire for orderly things. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 19. What is cursed for Adam? The ground. The ground. His work is cursed. It's going to be much, much harder for him to produce things from the ground. So that's one, um, one foundation of biblical masculinity. The, the second one is working and keeping. 
He placed him in the garden to work it and watch over it. So working and keeping is a part of the foundational understanding of biblical masculinity. Uh, This is a responsibility given by God was that he would work and keep the garden, keep the ground. This is the context by which God placed him to work. And if you're a man, God has placed you in some context to work and keep, right? It could be a lot of different things. It could be working here at the church. It could be working in your home. It could be working at um, Home Depot. It could be working at wherever God has placed you. Whatever your context is, you are called to work and keep. That is a, a, a faithful man is one who cultivates, he builds, he grows, he puts, makes things order. He is one who tries to bring order to a place. Any questions on any of that? He's also... When the honeydew list was invented. What'd you say? The honeydew list... When was that invented? The honeydew list. <laughs> because you're good at it. You're good at getting things done off the list. You go and just do it, right? You work and keep. There you go. And husbands are to be nourished. They're supposed to nourish. You're people who cultivate. You nourish souls. You nourish life. Um, we see in Ephesians chapter 6 a father's called to raise their children in the nurture of the Lord it doesn't say that to women or to the wife it doesn't say to the husband husband is called not just to go outside and cut the grass and disconnect emotionally actually it's the opposite you're to work you're to cultivate cultivate souls as well tend to hearts Again, when we say all these things, is that that women aren't also going to do these things? Women are going to work. Women are going to put order to things. Women are going to nourish. Women are going to tend. Women are going to cultivate. But men primarily are supposed to do this. And the question is, if you are a man and you're not doing, if you're not cultivating, if you're not building, if you're not nourishing, you're not tending, you're actually not doing one of the foundational things a man was created to do. That's why uh, men who are, have no drive and no purpose, they sit around and play video games all day. What's going on? They're not doing a lot of cultivating of people. They're not working. They're not keeping. They're not protecting. They're not guarding. They're not cultivating. They're not doing much of anything of helping other people. And they're not actually fulfilling one of the foundational things a man is called and created to do. Sounds like justification to take the kids out to help you with the yard work. There you go. They're nourishing. You're nourishing right. your future minds, right? I think that's good. Absolutely. All those words are helping. As much as she is the helper, he is also as much helper. Right, and he and he is to and as we'll talk about, he's to initiate. And I think one of the problems in in these in these conversations is. To, I think this is a big problem in, let's say, the Kyreville culture. You see a lot of hus- wives and women doing a lot of initiating. And the man just kind of, oh, I'm coming along, right? And what the problem with that is, is that God created men to be initiators. And it's not like women aren't going to initiate. 
but men aren't doing any initiating, that's not good. That's not good. Especially when it comes to spiritual matters. That's one of the biggest issues in the church today. Actually, it's been a big issue for a long time. You see a church full of women, and they're dragging their husbands. That is completely, it's off. Men have to be initiating spiritual investment in the church. It was God's design of that. And I just pray for these women who have to literally, they're the only ones coming. The husband's just like not interested. And I think ultimately that's not to her benefit either, right? Um, and so, if, yes? The unfortunate thing is that's been going on since oh, yeah. probably the beginning. Oh, yeah. Peter had to announce it in his first epistle in First Peter 3 when he said wives. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, so being a man is not about, you know, being a soldier and fighting battles and having adventures. Um, it's about people who cultivate, who protect, who provide, um, who tend, who nourish. I think also they need to show vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I think they need to show um, humbleness. I think they also need to, I remember one time <coughs> saw a daughter in front of some of her friends. Mm-hmm. I remember her feeling, some of her friends later, she goes, they, they've never seen a dad say, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, she goes, I can't believe it. I say I'm sorry to you probably three or four times a week. Right. So the the the, the importance of humility. Yeah. Right. A man is a humble. Yes. Something to back to go back to what you were saying about. (coughs) I remember that I I I remembered a statistic that I'd heard and I looked it up so I can remember, but it says. Um, that if the mother is the first to become Christian, there's a 17% policy that everyone else in the However, when the father is first, there's a 93%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's significant. It's very significant. Um, so we've talked about um, the ground, working and keeping, and now uh, a pattern of responsibility. Adam was a given authority. There's a responsibility. He was the firstborn. He is to be responsible. He has authority. Um, and the woman is a suitable helper to him. And this gets back into the importance of initiating initiate uh, and that's one of the issues what we see in Genesis 3 like right? where is Adam <laughs> he's lost he didn't ask for directions but he, and what, what is what is significant about Genesis 3 is the serpent absurded his authority he went and talked to Eve the woman and did not talk to him and what we see is his failure in leadership he failed Hence why God addressed him and why he is in Romans chapter 5 is compared to Jesus and is because of his sin that death came into the world. Right? He's the head. He's the leader. He failed. Um, and he's the one that received the word from him. And he was the one that was as the authority, right? 
his his job to uh, to communicate that to Eve and to protect her from the serpent. As a king, he failed to he should have taken if there were swords, he should have taken a sword and cut off that snake's head. But he didn't do that. See? And if he was taking care of the garden, he knew what that was and what was, you know. He knew what the snake I know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I said if there was, yeah. Um, we're not going to go there, Bill. <laughs> uh, one important thing as we talk about this um, is the, the context uh, by which the covenant relationship between Adam and Eve, he had authority. She was a suitable helper to him. We don't build off that, like, I have authority over Jordan. I don't have any authority over Jordan, right? So we, we don't make this, this, this view that now every man has authority over every woman. That's not the, the context that is presented here is a covenant relationship of marriage. We also see in the church the covenant um, structure of God's household when we get into pastors and elders, Okay. So there is a context by which these roles are presented. Okay. We have a few more minutes. I'm going to move on to the next. Um, so again, like one of the things we have to make sure that we do is not define masculinity based off skills. Right? Uh, a man is someone who likes hunting. If you don't like hunting, you're not a man. Um, a man is someone who uh, is handy. If you're not handy, you're not a man. Uh, a man is someone who likes sports. If you don't like sports, you're not a man. Um, you see how, yeah, sorry. My wife said I'm 0 for 3 so far. But again, you know how discouraging that, again, we, we laugh, but now it's discouraging because that's what happens. If you don't like those three things, then I guess you're gay. Or I guess, I guess you're not a man. But that's how these things, you, you laugh. This is exactly how these things work. You know what? I'll say this personally. I know someone who is who's homosexual. And one of the major reasons why, I might say it's the only reason, but it's because kids at school made fun of him because he didn't like sports and he didn't dress a certain way and didn't talk a certain way. You know, he was treated, oh, he must be gay. And so when people call you gay, what do you think you're going to identify as? Gay. You see how that, like, that's how you're defining masculinity. Now, I'm not saying that was the only reason, but I'm saying it was a, it was a strong influencer. It really was. Mixed up the other way, too. If a, if a yeah. girl yep. or a woman likes sports right. or, likes or, or, you know, things yeah. like that, yeah. it confuses that side. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have... Uh, I, I had that experience when I my parents would live overseas, play football, all that stuff was not part of my life. And when I moved back to the States, my mom distinctly had this memory she told me about like she's like, Sean, why are you so sad? I was like, I just I don't get people here, I don't understand. All they care about are trucks and football. <laughs> and I, I was, I was called gay growing up, but I I never 
I mean, I cared, but like I never took it personally. That's not where I took my like personal identity. Right. And I was fortunate right. to have a family that raised me. That <laughs> so I mostly could just let it slide off my back. But I had my best friend growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, he was called to the Navy SEALs, went into the Navy, completely failed. I mean, just mm-hmm. crashed and burned, made terrible decisions, got out, went through this like five year identity crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Because he had his identity wrapped up in completely wrong things. And so his natural conclusion must be, oh, well, I'm actually a woman. Yep. And that's what, like, it, you could just see, well, no, your, your issue is your identity was you were a Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. And that just wasn't true. Right. And now your whole identity is right. completely messed up. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's true. They have uh, way SEALs. Wave seals? Female seals. Oh. Oh. Yeah, well, he wouldn't make that one either. G.I. Jane. I made a movie about this. Um, hey, question. Yes. In, in the 50s, when I was in high school, <laughs> high school curriculum, you could tell the courses you took were t- uh, taken by girls. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you had shop and other things. So during that particular time, the high school curriculum the men in this direction and the women in this direction. That's the way the high school is. That's not true today, but in the 50s, that's the way the high school curriculum was designed. Right, right, right. And again, the 1950s were not defining this by biblical terminology. They were building it off of, of cultural, cultural fabric, right? Yeah. And, and so hence why they abandoned that. It's, you know, we, we get frustrated when, especially school systems and society go a certain direction, their foundation is not biblical. Again, go back to the weirder. That's where they're coming from. So, like, preferences change. Cultural fabric changes. And so it's not surprising, you know, when it goes the way that it is. Um, we just can't follow the same direction by defining what masculinity and femininity is by preference and skills. We actually fall into the same trap. Um, let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a definition or a summary of biblical masculinity. I, I did not write this. Uh, biblical masculinity is displayed in a sense of benevolent responsibility to tend God's creation, provide for and protect others, and express loving sacrificial leadership in particular contexts prescribed by God's word. What? It's in here. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> <coughs> You know, you, you see that, and you start to think through that responsibility. Someone who's an initiator, who takes responsibility, who's reliable, right? Someone who you can, you can count on, someone who will provide sacrificial service for others, um, seeks the good in other people, <laughs> Um, puts themselves below others for their sake. Someone who is a steward of what, it, what they have. Um, we, and we see this throughout Scripture. You see the tending of God's creation, Genesis chapter 2. Um, you see providing for, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. If anyone who does not provide for his relatives especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's not a provider. He doesn't provide for anyone, doesn't care to provide for anyone, 
That's someone who is rejecting biblical masculinity. Now, that doesn't mean that women don't provide. It doesn't mean that women also do not provide for their families. Um, but there's a responsibility. And, and, that, and that's not just men who are married either. That's also single men as well. There should be a, an understanding of responsibility f- to provide for those in need, for their family, for their friends. Um, a protector. Someone who is protecting. Ezekiel 34, 4 through 6. So, for example, when God, con- uh, this is when he condemns the shepherd, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, and strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. Ezekiel 34, 4 through 6. No, we just read Oh, you just read Okay, I have not read that. Um, they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. They failed to protect. Um, all you men understand this, especially if you're married, when you hear a bump in the night, who's responsible to go check? You are. You are. Whoever wakes up. I did it last time. <laughs> and it goes... It goes, it goes back to that, but it goes back to that Genesis 2 passage. And again, it doesn't mean that a woman can't go up and, prote- and, go, and go check. But from an innate foundational level, the biblical man is to protect, right? Is to protect. Doesn't mean that women don't protect. But when it gets down to this foundational understanding of what a man is, they should be one who is, who is eager to protect, eager to take responsibility. Bumps in the middle of the night or whatever, and like I'll shoot up, get out of bed, and check it out. Yep. The baby's crying. I'm crying the house. <laughs> That's right. It's so easy. I know. It's interesting. It's so interesting. <laughs> um, I wanna. I wanna. We ran out of time, but um, <coughs> we see in First Timothy chapter three, um, we see his qualification of elders. And he says, I think it's a great list of what a, 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 a godly man should be. Every man, regardless if they're an elder or not, should strive to, to be this. Um, and not like, well, I'm not an elder. I guess I don't have to be this way. Um, <laughs> if we're an overseer, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, strong, but under control, um, respect, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not coarsome, not a lover of money, must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And so I think that is a great list. Um, someone who doesn't demand to be served, but and strength serves and sacrifices for the good of others. One who initiates, feels a responsibility that they need a, to provide a general pan, pattern of initiating in their family, in their home. If they're a single man, that they look to initiate um, in their church, 
that they look to initiate um, amongst their friends as well, especially in the, in the area of discipleship and, and spiritual help. A biblical masculinity accepts the burdens of the final say in disagreements between leader and led, but doesn't presume to use in every instance. Oh, where's my next page? Here it is. Someone who is a, a servant who doesn't just demand that you do something, right? Um, but leads by, by, by love and, and leads by, with humility. Um, not someone who just makes decisions on their own, but um, um, listens and, and gets counsel and, and says, you're right, I'm wrong, right? Um, someone who uh, is called to leadership is called to repentance and humility. So a, a biblical man is one who admits that they're sorry, admits that they're wrong, um, when, when proven wrong, and someone who's humble. Um, are there any questions on any of this? I kind of ran through the last bit because I ran out of time. But any questions on any of this? The first Adam failed. But Jesus Christ, the, tr- uh, the, the true and better man, the true and better Adam, did not fail and succeeded um, where Adam failed. And so as men, we look to Christ as our example, as our example. And only, we can only be godly men when we are unified in Christ, right, as Tinsley was saying. There's, there is no path to uh, biblical masculinity outside of Christ. And so if you know someone, if you have, you know that young man who's super passive, just sleeps on the couch, plays video games, doesn't do anything, you're like, what's going to get him off the couch? It's not a job application that you fill out for. I'm not saying you don't do that. Uh, I'm not saying that you get him a mentor, but he needs Christ. The husband that's not not initiating in the home, um, it's not a mentor or some like whatever else that you may um, push them towards is Christ. Christ is the only thing that's going to lead to a man living biblically as God designed him to live. It's only through Christ. It's going back to the, those four points. It's the redemption of Christ. It's only through redemption that men will live as God designed them to live. Thank you for listening to Lesson 9, Biblical Masculinity. For information about Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com and learn more about our ministries and our classes, and we hope to see you back.